have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Um, we're going to have some fun today. So how many of you have loved Pastor Wright's Salt and Light series that's been going on on Sunday nights? Anybody have a, have, have a paradigm change in your mind about being salt and light? I know I, I've had some change in my own mind, in my own thought processes about about how I am a witness or an ambassador for Christ, for and with Christ, excuse me. And this this uh, line of this this lesson kind of came out of some of the things that Pastor Wright has taught. I think it was the second or third. A message that pastor preached i the, the lord the lord leads me with questions he asks me questions or has my conscious consciousness ask me questions it's kind of weird how it goes and I, I think it's because i think it's because when i was a child my my dad parented me with questions here was the the number one question that my dad parented with me with you ready for this dad this is number one Isaac, what are you doing? <laughs> that was that's the first that's the, that's the that's the one I remember like nonstop. But as I got older, the questions became a little more more godly, more and I learned this lesson that whenever my dad asks me a question, a spiritual question, there's only ever one answer. And I learned this the hard way. The answer is always, anybody got any guesses? Somebody said Jesus. No, that's incorrect. The answer is always, I have no idea. None. I have no, I, I, literally no idea. And I, I came upon this answer. You're probably not going to figure this out, so I'm going to tell you. I came upon this answer answering all his questions wrong. All of them. Isaac, what do you think about this? Well, blah, 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 blah. That's not right. Here's the answer the Lord gave me. Oh, that's good, Dan. Next day or next week, same thing. Eager. Boom. Got an answer for everything. No, that's not right either. And at some point, he clued me in. I can't remember when, but he clued me in. He said, Isaac, when are you going to learn that you don't know the answer to these questions? And so the Lord has done the same thing with me. He asks me questions and prompts me to ask questions of myself and of the word. And one, um, one of the first uh, nights that Pastor Wright preached on being salt and light, the Lord prompted me with this question, and that is, what is our authority as children of God? What is the level of authority we have as children of God? And so I, I went on a, I went on a, uh, um, ex- Ex- exploration, I believe, is what the term would be, an, an adventure in the Word of God to kind of to, to, to discover what that authority level is as a child of God. And uh, the Lord gave me this for me. Yes, I'm. A, I'm sorry. It's the Father in me. I heard it and it it called out, so I responded. Does he need a dad? Does he need does he need a father right now? Okay, we're good. Um, so the Lord gave me this for me, and 
in it, he's, he's used it to probe my heart, probe my motives. And so I don't have an expectation tonight that any of you will leave here um, demonstrating the authority of the, of the kingdom to a greater degree. My expectation is that the Lord will use this as a seed in your life to probe your own thoughts and use it to probe your thoughts, your motives, and bring you to a greater dimension that you can function in internally. And as a result of internal function rising, outward function will flow. So God works, works with us through process. So that, that's what this is today. So um, I'm going to go slow. I don't know how much of this we're going to get through. But Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 says this. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, everybody say the 12. This is not the 70. This is the 12. Okay? This is not the 500. This is not the crowd. This is not the 5,000. This is the 12. These are the ones that are the closest to him. He gave them. Everybody say he gave. Scripture says, freely you have received, freely give. He handed them power against unclean spirits. Doesn't that sound cool? It sounds pretty cool to be handed power over unclean spirits. I don't know what that does for you, but that's, that's pretty amazing. Another thing I would like you to notice about this passage is that he didn't say specific spirits here. He said unclean spirits, Sister Gross. I personally believe that that means it's a blanket statement. He gave the 12 power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of Everybody say all. If I'm not mistaken, that word all there is a word we are familiar with at Antioch. Pause. All manner of sickness and pos manner of disease. I should have said pasta. Some of you guys that haven't had dinner would have gotten hungry if I had said that, though. So let's read this again uninterrupted. And when he had called unto his him, his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now we're going to flip over to Mark chapter 6. We're going to read with verse 7, read verse 7 and verse 8. And he called unto him the 12 and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse. But be shod with sandals and, and not put on two coats. That's verse 9. And we're going to stop there. So what Jesus is doing here, uh, Mark 6 and Matthew 10 are partner, they're, they're partner uh, verses. I don't. If I'm not mistaken, these are not the same, they're not the same event. It's okay. It's okay. 
thought we were just going to groove a little for a second. And so these are two separate instances where, no, that's not, that's a different one. So there's, there's the 12 and the 70. My bad, I got it mixed up. These two are the same event that he gave the disciples power. He literally handed them authority. Now, I don't know what this mechanism was like because this is before the Spirit of God is released onto the earth by, by the Holy Ghost. So the only one on the planet that has the Spirit of God inside of them at this point in time is the man Christ Jesus. Okay, And because of that, he has the right, the permission, the authority, and the privilege of giving power or this word power here is not, not, not force, but it is authority. It's permission. He gives permission over all unclean spirits to his disciples. Sends them out two by two, and there they go. If you read Mark 6, Mark um, Luke 10, Matthew 10, these are all similar events that take place. And he says in Luke 10 that his goal here is to release them to go to the places where he was planning to go so that they could prepare the, prepare the way for him, much like John the Baptist had done. Okay, So he gave them power over unclean spirits. Now, the, the word unclean spirit here in the, in the Greek, uh, you can imagine, means you should probably take a shower. It simply means impure, something dirty. It's not, it's not deep. It just, it's something that is dirty. Now, here's the interesting part. The scripture says that he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. So, John the Baptist was the greatest prophet born of woman, according to scripture. But he was not born into the kingdom because he did not have the spirit of God inside of him. At this point in the, in, in the gospels, the disciples had not received the spirit of God. So if John the Baptist is, is lesser than the least in the kingdom of heaven, then it stands to reason that at this point, even the 12 disciples are less than he that is least in the kingdom of heaven. So if they are less than who is least in the kingdom of heaven, then that means least in the kingdom of heaven has more authority than they did. At this time, because of the spirit of God that dwells inside of us. Which is which is awesome if you think about it. Because we come against each and every day unclean spirits in the in the places we go, whether they are. At the grocery store, at our place of work. Um, in our homes, some of us deal with those things. But the scripture says, and I'm, I'm going get to get to this later, every place the sole of your feet treads is given to you. It's yours. You have authority over it. Which tells me that every unclean spirit we encounter on a daily basis we have authority over as children of God. 
Matthew chapter 8, verse 9 and 10, we see the, the centurion. The centurion says, for I am, uh, in verse 9, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. Actually, let me go back to verse 8. Excuse me, I have to change screens here. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Now, this is the 12 he's talking to here. Verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. The centurion had an understanding, observing Jesus, just watching. He could tell that Jesus was a man under authority. A question that I have that I want to use that the Holy Ghost wants to use to probe our hearts is, can the people around us tell that we are people under authority? The scripture says in the book of Proverbs that a man that hath no reign over his own spirit is like a city without walls. If you are someone whose flesh is always raging, you always have a carnal response to everything. You are not a person under authority. So we learn a couple things here. The centurion has observed that Jesus, number one, Jesus is a man under authority. The next thing that we observe is we understand how authority operates. Authority operates through the person that is holding the authority by The spoken word. The spoken word. There are are two things in my life that have taught me more about God than anything. 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 And I mean anything. My relationship with my wife, my relationship with my children. If you are a parent, you have you have if you're a parent and and you have a spouse, you have a skeleton key to unlock the word of God, because everything that God does in his word can be seen from both of those perspectives. How he feels about his bride. Everybody and how he feels about his children, you and I individually can all be unlocked if we're willing to understand it. If we're willing to understand it. So I have no idea why I said that. That's okay. So everything. Oh, that's why I said it. As a, as a parent and as a, as a, and as a husband, I've come to understand that there are certain things I can expect to be done just by asking, by speaking. I used to think, I used to think that I had to yell all the time. And so I did. I even justified it. How did I justify it? With scripture, of course. What do you mean? Have you ever read in the scripture where God yelled at the children of Israel? Oh, he does. 
he says some very strong things to the children of Israel. And so I, you know, I, I justified my, my yelling sometimes, Brother Brown. Wasn't right. I did it. Now, eventually what happened is the Lord convicted me. I repented. I changed my ways and realized that if I have to yell all the time, I'm not actually exercising my authority. I am emotionally manipulating my family. So, do I still yell? Occasionally. Occasionally, because God yells occasionally. If you've never had God yell at you, I hope it never happens. I have had him arrest me in my spirit. Isaac, yes, Lord. It was not, it was not one of the, we, we do get the loving touches from the Lord sometimes. Come here, son, let me give you a hug. No, I, I've had the Lord arrest me with, with, a, with a loud call of my name and realize I, I was not where I needed to be. So, but in the expression of authority, it does not have to be spoken with a loud yell all the time. I can simply, as a parent, as a husband, ask, make a request. And because of who I am to the people I'm talking to, what I am asking for will get done. Now, if it's the trash, there is occasionally a discussion that goes on prior to the trash getting taken out. Occasionally, not all the time, not all the time. My, my boys do a great job with that. So I only say that to kind of tease a little bit. They do a pretty good job most of the time. And by pretty good, I mean like 95% of the time they, it gets done. Okay, maybe 99 I'll stick with 95. <laughs> but by the spoken word is how this gets done. Sometimes we think, and I'm going to go on from this point in a minute, but sometimes we think that when we come against a, a, an unclean spirit, that it requires us to scream, yell, and holler. And it doesn't. An unclean spirit just needs to know who is in charge. It just needs to know who's in charge. Now, if you're someone in your family or someone at your workplace is under the influence of an unclean spirit, it is not my guidance that you look at them in the face and say, You unclean spirit, I bind you. (laughs) That is not, (laughs) that is not, that's not it. This is not that, okay? We're going to talk a little bit more about how how we exercise this, but I wanted to get that point out there right now. So the the story of the centurion can also be found in Luke chapter 7, and I encourage you to go look at that. So as, as we move on here, the word power is the Greek word exousia, exousia. I, did, I forgot to listen to the, my Bible program has a pronunciation and I forgot to listen to it. Um, but one of the definitions of this word is delegated influence. Delegated influence. 
when you received the kingdom, go ahead in my notes to find this verse, excuse me. Luke chapter 17, verse 21 says, neither, uh, verse 20, and when he is, when he, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. When you received the Holy Ghost, you received the kingdom into your heart. So when you received the kingdom of God into your heart, you received delegated influence. Delegated influence. Delegated influence over, according to Matthew chapter 10, against unclean spirits to cast them out and to all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. When you received the kingdom, that is what you received. All of it. Each and every person here has the Holy Ghost dwelling inside of them. This is what you received. You don't have to call the pastor to get permission to pray for somebody that's sick. You don't have to call the pastor to come bind the unclean spirit in your coworker or your child or your spouse. I also don't advise you to do this with your spouse. Just to be clear on this. I didn't say that earlier. I don't I don't know it's not it's not wisdom. Don't do that. But authority must be exercised in order for you, in order for you to function the way God wants you to. You have to not only allow the spirit to flow in you, you have to allow that delegated influence to flow in you and through you. Every place you go. Every place you go. This word also means the ability or strength which one has in, endued, which he either possesses or exercises. It's not enough to just possess the authority or to hold the authority in your being and, and, and exercise it for your own good. I remember a, a few years ago, one of these times the Lord arrested me by calling my name in a very stern way. Uh, we had been, had been going through a trial, and the Lord let me know that I had been holding my, I had kidnapped my ministry and was holding it hostage, demanding that he pay a ransom of getting me out of my trial. That's how he described it to me. And nothing was happening. I was praying for people, nothing was happening. Was praying at home, nothing was happening. Was praying regularly, nothing was happening. And then he he revealed to me what I had done and said, you're basically trying to consume all of your delegated authority on yourself. And that's not what I've called you to do. So after repenting, getting myself right with God, doing what's necessary, you know, fruits, meat for repentance and all that. There are things that the Lord started doing in me, in me and through me again. And how, how many of us here, and this is rhetorical, but I want to use it to probe again. 
How many of us here are waiting for our circumstances to change before we step out and do what God is wanting us to do? How many of us here are, are waiting? Well, well, when this happens, I'll step out. When this happens, I'll have the confidence. When, I, when, I'm, when I'm really whole, I'll, I'll, I'll have the confidence to do In the scripture where Lazarus, the scripture where Lazarus is raised from the dead, the scripture says that Jesus calls him out, Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And then, you know, the dead body, which is now alive, the grave. He's in his grave clothes, and the scripture says, that he looks at the, those that were standing by and says, loose him and let him go. There was a period of time. Now, granted, that, was, it was all, that all happened in a moment. There is a, there's a, there is a period of time where God draws us out of our sin and makes us alive because the scripture says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. There is a period of time that God uses to both make us alive and release us from all of our past, our grave clothes. But that is determined by our level, our level, level of hunger for being free. If we are not demonstrating with God in relationship with him, that we are hungry and that we are wanting to pursue him, that we're pursuing wholeness with him. He has to send things our way. Send trials, send tests to cultivate within us a desperation that he hopes becomes a hunger and a thirst for him to pursue what it is he wants to give us so that he can give it to us. And, and a question I have is, are we really struggling with our trials because, because of the, what we've done to bring them to us? Or are we more, more frustrated? Are we more frustrated? Or, 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 and, and, and not, are we more frustrated? Are we not aware that God has brought the trials and tests to us to cultivate our hunger because he can't do it any other way. There's, there, there's sometimes no other way. So in his mercy, he extends to us an olive branch and says, okay, I'm going to create a bridge. I'm going I'm to send this test your way to bridge the gap between you and me so that you can get over here so I can give you what I want to give you. But we mistake that, and we think that on the other side of that olive branch is the resolution to our trial. And this goes back to the expectation that we have when we come to God. Are we misplacing our expectation because we want temporal relief, or, we want a, or do we really want a spiritual result? Do we want the manifestation of God in us and through us? Do we really want, 
Do we really crave after and desire the things of God as we should? This is is important. This is an important aspect of, of authority. It's cultivated and created by our hunger. If we have no depth of hunger, then our authority will be shallow. Our our authority will be shallow if our hunger for God is shallow. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with with the current demonstration of God's kingdom through you? Is that all there is? I got to tell you, if this is all there is, I don't want it. This is not enough. This is not enough. I've only ever had one devil run from me. And I want to see more. In a church service, praying in an altar. And I laid my hands on this woman and I spoke the word of authority. Eyes popped open and literally ran from me. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. Power, authority. The spirit in her knew that it was about to be bound and cast out. I'm sad. I sound mad, and that's really what I am. I'm mad disappointed, angry even, that that's the only time that's happened to me. Anybody else? We're supposed to demonstrate the kingdom. So if the kingdom is not being demonstrated, now, according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are based on Hebrews, Old Testament books, The demonstration of the kingdom is the sick being healed and devils being cast out. If we aren't seeing those two things in our life, what is our level of authority doing? Now, in a minute, I'll just skip to it now. The Lord's prompting me to, so I will go this way. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, all power is given unto me. Romans 8, 17 says that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Our authority comes, just as the disciples' authority came from in Matthew chapter 10, comes from being with Christ. This is also demonstrated in Mark 6, Luke 9, and Luke 10. Your proximity to Jesus matters. How close you are to Jesus matters. And not only that, how much you've allowed the kingdom to expand inside of you determines how close you can get to Jesus. 
Because according to, according to the law, according to what we know from Scripture, sin cannot stand in the presence of God. It literally cannot abide. So if there is anything inside of you that God has not worked out, if there's anything inside of you that God hasn't managed to bring a trial yet to address, it's coming. Why? Because in order to truly manifest all of the authority that God wants to manifest in and through your life, that stuff can't be there. It can't. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands, pure heart. Here's here's an important thing. God's not looking for you to be without mistake. God's looking for you to be without blemish. There's a difference. Being without mistake is a human measurement. Being without blemish means you're clothed in his righteousness. And that means you're without sin. And you have clean hands and a pure heart. If you will accept the robe of righteousness that he gives us, it covers your mistakes it covers your sin. It covers your shame. It covers your shortcomings. It covers all the guilt and puts you in a position where no matter what you do, because the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, you will be able to manifest the kingdom in and through your life if you will walk in righteousness. It was, it's the revelation of the blood. It's the revelation of the blood that allows the apostolic authority to be manifested in and through the people of God. Because without that revelation, we will think that we have to do better, work harder, do more. I'm just not doing enough. If I had $100 for every time A deacon in this congregation said to me, Brother Isaac, I just feel like I'm not doing enough. I'd have quite a bit of money. Why? Because it's something that we all battle. I'm just not, it's, it's, God's not looking for your activity. God is looking for your willingness to stand in righteousness. And if you're standing in righteousness, he can direct you. He can direct you. Are you, willing, are you wanting to stand without mistake? Or are you willing to stand without blemish? Are you wanting to be humanly perfect? Or are you wanting to be right with God? This is an important distinction. Because it determines your motives. It determines your motives. Look at, look at David. I don't think there's anybody 
There's nobody in the scripture like David. The closest person in the New Testament to David in the way I'm thinking of right now is probably Peter. Because they're both equally stubborn in their flesh, but supremely powerful in the spirit because they had an understanding of who they were in God. David would not allow sin. David would not allow his human mistakes. David would not allow his human relationships. He let nothing come between him and his pursuit of God. And when he did, he repented right away. Peter, same thing. Peter denied Jesus, denied him. But Jesus had already prophesied, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. He knew that there was a conversion coming. And he knew Peter was going to be the only one stubborn enough to make it through the disappointment. A question I have, a question I have, is are we so caught up with our humanity that we're not willing to look ourselves in the eye and say, God has called you to be something in the kingdom. God has called you to be something in the kingdom. And nothing you do is going to stop the pursuit that I have. Nothing. Your proximity to Jesus matters. One of the things we don't do enough as people of God is we don't spend enough time with God. And I'm not just talking about, you know, your daily hour of prayer, which is not scriptural, by the way. I'm talking about a long exposure to God that lasts an entire day. It begins with waking up and engaging his presence and staying connected to him all day long. I went through a season recently where it was the grace, it was the grace of God. It was the grace of God. I could not discover in my day a single hour that I could spend in prayer. 60 minutes, 60 minute block. I could not find it. It was not there. But I, I, the Lord taught me to connect with him when I got up and just stay connected throughout the day. And I can't tell you during that, from that, during that time, I can't tell you the last time I spent, I couldn't tell you the last time I spent a single hour, like an entire hour in prayer. But I also couldn't tell you the last day that I went an hour without praying. It was like a continuous stream of, of worship, prayer, tongues, whatever, whatever you want to call it was just consistently flowing out of me. In between conversations, in between, obviously, you know, 
you go through a day. If you have a job that allows you to be by yourself literally all day long and you can pray for an entire day, that's, that's, a, that's a great blessing. You have the opportunity to do some great things in the kingdom. But that, that's not my day. I, a lot of, I'm, I'm, I'm customer-facing, so I have a lot of people i got to support and talk to, whatever. But, so in, in between all that, there was this steady flow of prayer and praise that was always just, and during that season, that was, that was, that was what sustained me. That's, and I, I, I've, I got closer to God without having a, quote, prayer time. And another probing question that I feel the Lord prompting me to ask is, are we making excuses with how we use our time? We wonder, you know, why, why don't, Lord, why don't I see, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who asked the questions that I was talking about earlier. Lord, why don't I see a greater demonstration of your spirit in and in and through me. Why don't I see your authority flowing in me like I ought to? What? Why? I'm, I'm I'm sure I'm not the only one that asks these questions. And the direct response to that question is, what is your time and exposure to God's presence? What is your alignment with God like? What's your life of prayer and fasting? How many of you knew, know um, Brother Billy Cole? Know of, know of the elder, the bishop, Billy Cole? It's going to sound really bad, but I actually had an argument with God about Billy Cole um, a couple months ago. Brother Cole was not a small man. If you don't know who Brother Billy Cole is, I encourage you to go on YouTube and look up um, Billy Cole messages. You will, you will, you'll see he's not a small man. He was short, but not small. I'm talking 400 plus pounds, five foot two, five foot three. He, he was not, not a big, not a tall human, but he was a large human. And I, I had an argument with God. This is no lie. Brother Cole believed in the philosophy. He didn't believe in fasting. He said, you feast and believe and God will do work. It worked for him. It worked for him. So I asked the Lord one day, I'm like, Lord, here is a man of God, 400 plus pounds. He's not, li- he's, he's not fasting. There's no way he's missing meals. I know I, sound, I know I sound judgmental. I know what I sound like. This was my conversation with God, and he's prompted me to let you, let you in on the indoor conversation. So this is my Lord. What in the world? Why do I have to fast? I don't want to fast. You told me, you told me to fast whenever you said. And so I do. The Lord was kind to me this day, and he said, he said, Brother Cole lived a fasted life. His spirit was fasted all the time. Yours is not. And 
So I had to let that probe my heart, search out my motives. <laughs> okay, Lord, I'm willing to skip a few meals if you'd like me to. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't push the envelope. So another question the Lord has, has kind of prompted me with is, and I think this may be, I'm winding down here, everyone. I'm winding down here. I, feel the, I see the flow starting to calm down. Is how, Lord, how far can I push this? How, how far out on the edge can I get with my, with my relationship with you? I mean, like, how, how, how crazy can I get and be okay? How, how far out there can I get? And I'm talking, I'm talking Ezekiel far out there. Isaiah's visions were out there. Ezekiel's visions... He, 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 he was a little further out then. I saw an angel with eyes within and eyes without. Huh? I saw a being and had the face of a lion, the face of a human, the face of an eagle. And it never turned. And wherever it was going, it was going straight. What? How far out there can I go, Lord? I, I asked the Lord these questions. How far out there can I go? And the Lord directed me to Proverbs 18, verse 1, and Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And Proverbs 18, 1, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddles with all wisdom. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the Lord instructed me, Isaac, you can go as far as your hunger will take you. And because you're under authority, you'll be okay. So I, I, I accepted the challenge from the Lord, and I've started rethinking my spiritual disciplines rather than you know what is the what's the minimum i need to do what is the minimum of that of myself that i have to give in order to see what god wants to do in my life i started asking myself what is the most i can do romans 12:1 indicates that i'm supposed to 12, 1, 2, 3, I'm supposed to present my entire being as a living sacrifice. So that's the number one. We all have to die. We have to get on the altar. We have to die. I've talked to a few of you about this. We all have to die. Die to our will. We have this misconception that dying to our will means that we have to come to the church every day, lay on the altar and spend six hours in prayer or eight hours in prayer. That's not death. If that's what the Lord requires of you, you need to do it. But that's not death. Death means I put all of my self on the altar and I commit my entire being 
my entire experience in this, in this life into the hands of a loving God. And whatever happens, he's in control. He knows what's happening. I went through a, a physical thing, a physical um, sickness a couple years ago, and I remember, you know, in the middle of it, consulting my father, looking for some fatherly sympathy. Oh, no, this was before that. This was, I was stressed out over something, I think. can't remember what it was now. But I was going through something, and it had me all stressed to the max, and I was not feeling good about it. So, I, you know, I'm sitting with my dad looking for some fatherly advice and, you know, ho- hopefully some encouragement. I'm sure you can tell by the way the story is going. I didn't get it. He looked at me dead in the eyes and said, directly in the eyes, and said, Isaac, you know what? I'm like, what? A dead man can't feel anything. You ain't dead. I wanted to cry. I wanted to scream. I wanted to jump up and down and holler. I wanted to do a, a, I wanted, I, I wanted to do a lot of different things to express my displeasure with what he said. But it was like introducing a nail. Nail meet. He was 100% right. He was 100% right. And how many of us go through our days, go through our days not dealing with things the way the scripture tells us, carrying weights of responsibility that are not ours to carry? The scripture says that we're supposed to cast all of our cares upon him, for he cares for us. So death sometimes looks like casting the care, handling it God's way. Doing things God's way all the time. Letting him make all of our decisions. Letting, walking in a flow of walking in the flow of his presence day in, day out. Not, not a feeling of his presence. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the physical feeling that you feel when you get in the presence of God. I'm talking about a spirit connection, you and him. You know you're connected. My, my wife and I had a conversation, my wife and I had a conversation last week in reference to it was, it was, we're talking about our marriage, and um, I made the comment, was it last week? I think it was last week. I, I, I said, I think, I said, it, it feels like right now we might be ships passing in the night. We're not syncing up. We're, we're not in connection like we need to be. And I, I was like, I really, I want that to be, I want that connection to be there. The same is true with our Heavenly Father. You and I know when we're not in sync with him. You, we can tell. We can tell when, 
You know, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll get to you. I'll, I'll get, yes, I, I'll get to you later. But I wonder how many of us really understand the necessity of being in sync with, in sync with the Holy Ghost day in and day out. You can't stay in sync with the Holy Ghost by default. You engage. You end the day by going to sleep, giving your physical body rest. So by default, when you get up the next day, you are not automatically going to be connected unless you, by grace, engage with the presence of God. That, that, that's what we have to do. We, we have to... We have to allow our faith, our, our, our hunger for the things of God to bring us to a position where we are willing to engage him on his terms each and every day. Living from a place of hunger and thirst, not living from desperation to desperation. Desperation fades with the ending of a crisis. Desperation ends. But hunger is something that keeps coming back. I want my hunger for God to, to, to increase. I, want it to, I don't want it just to, to, to stay static. I don't want to feed on the things of this world so much that I can't tell I'm really hungry for him, that I'm really thirsty for him because I'm just steady consuming the earthly things. If I want to understand my authority in him, if I want to understand my place in him, I have to engage him on his terms. If that means fasting, I got to do it. If that means praying, extended periods of time, I have to do it. Because in order for God's authority to find a dwelling place or a place where it can abide and flow through, In order for that to happen, I have to be in sync with him. I encourage you to go spend some time reading and studying Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3. Go go and look and spend some time looking at the relationship that Adam had with God in the garden. One of the most precious things you'll ever read and understand. He was so close, so close to God. That they had, they had a, 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 a mind-spirit connection that has never since happened organically in a human. Their consciousness was one. How did Adam know what to name the animals? Adam knew because of his connection to God. He didn't make them up on his own. There was an authority that came with a relationship And he just knew what to call them. He just knew what to call them. And the scripture says that from God's perspective, he's like, oh, let me see what Adam's going to do. And he did. It's important to understand and know that if I press in deep into my relationship with God, that according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, he will reward me for diligently seeking him. 
There is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. And none of this that's been taught tonight is, is new. None of it's new. But in stirring up our pure minds by way of remembrance, we have got to get back to a radical relationship with God. We have got to get back to being drawn of the Holy Ghost, not to church, but to a place of fellowship with God. The authority of the kingdom flows through relationship with Jesus. That's where Adam got it. The authority in the spirit that's been exercised to establish this church came through relationship with God. The authority that keeps this church in the spirit sustaining and maintaining, continuing to push and grow comes through relationship. Somebody sacrificing or investing, giving their time to do things God's way to align themselves with the principles of of seeking God. I'm I'm almost done. Just give me a few more minutes, please. King David was was an awesome model of this. And I'm not going to get to all these scriptures today. But in 1 Samuel 18, 7 and 1 Chronicles 14, verse 16, In um, 1 Chronicles 18, there are some really cool things said about David. 1 Samuel 18, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. 1 Chronicles 14. 1 Chronicles, that's not core onicles, I always say that. So David's fame spread everywhere and the Lord caused all of the nations to fear David. First, Chron- First Chronicles 6, um, 18, verse 6 and 13, same thing. So the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. Victorious everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. This is the guy that went and got the Ark of the Covenant and put it in an open tent so that the Spirit of God could probe his people, walk through intermingle with the people, and that the people could come and engage the Ark of the Covenant whenever they wanted. Because of the sacrifice that David made in relationship, God caused all the nations to fear David. God made David victorious wherever he went. And not only that, if you read 2 Samuel chapter 23, in 1 Chronicles 11, David's, David's philosophy, David's, David's desire to, to expand the kingdom got, became so contagious that his mighty men went and did stuff that he never did. Some of the things that they did was, were just, like one of them killed like 500 dudes by himself. Expanding the kingdom. 
all because one man chose to fall into the ground and die and be the seed for the expansion of the kingdom. And I wonder how many of us here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close here. How many of us here today are willing to fall into the ground and die in our relationship with God for the salvation of those that are in our sphere? You know, the, the scripture says in um, Psalm 79, 11, with the sighing of the prisoner go up before thee. I was at a, I was picking up groceries a few weeks ago. And as we've been taught to do in this, in this church, you always, you're always listening for the Holy Ghost and, and reaching for, listening for direction. And the Lord prompted me with a thought and I've learned to, I've learned to, I've learned that they're him. I always thought they were me for a long time, but I learned it. I learned to know his voice and I realized this was him. And the thought was, I wonder, I wonder what it would be like to hear the cry of this man's soul, the man who was giving me my groceries. I could sense in the Holy Ghost, he, he wasn't saved. I knew he, I, I, so I knew that. But that scripture, Psalm seventy nine eleven, came to me, and so I was like, I wonder what the what what his sigh sounds like. I did not ask the Lord. I wasn't talking to him. But before I knew it, the Lord had tuned me into a frequency that I have never been tuned into before. And I heard it driving down the highway in traffic this this, this evening. This, the, the, the scream that I heard of this man screaming out for help in the spirit was something I'll never forget. As I passed cars today on the way home, looking over in, in, in the lane next to me, talking over 100 cars just passing me. And the Lord tuned me into that frequency again. And the, the overwhelming burden from him that I felt for those people, I can't quantify. I, I don't have a way to quantify what I felt. Again, just sensing with the Holy Ghost. I, I knew none of them were saved. I could, I could tell none of them were saved as they passed me. The Lord let me know that. We don't hear, we don't hear the sighing of the lost around us because we're not close enough to him for us to hear it his way. It's easier if we just consume ourselves with our, with our burden for the lost rather than his. It's easier if we just do it our way. But it's the will of God 
for us to be so close to Jesus that we weep for the things he weeps for. We defend the things he defends. We stand for the things he stands for. We speak against the things he speaks against. We do what he's doing. We say what he's saying. We are in sync with him in the spirit. Let's pray, let's pray for a minute. I, I, think I'm, I think we're closing it. I think we're, we're finished with the flow of teaching, but the spirit of the Lord is, is still probing our hearts. Let's engage him in prayer right now. We're not looking for an emotional response. If, you, if the Lord brings, if, if emotions come, that's okay, but that's not what we're looking for. The Lord is looking for a, a change of heart, a change of direction, a, a repentance action, a turn in our minds, a turn in our hearts for truly wanting to be who he wants us to be. Oh, Lord, turn our hearts to you afresh and new. We turn our hearts to you afresh and new, Father. In the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, draw us nigh to you. We repent for not drawing nigh. I repent for not drawing nigh. And we draw nigh to you so that you can draw nigh to us. Because there's a world of people that are lost, a world of people that are bound by darkness that we have authority to address. But because we aren't close enough, we can't hear. We can't hear you when you say it's time to engage. Oh, Hayama, Gore, Sabayande, Heonda, Yesu. Ye haiman da kasuyan tareya saba. Ne itu rite shaba kandea te yosoya. Ne raya musutila de ay hondorea de bosonoi. Hitariandore asi. Oh Lord, forgive us for forgetting that the primary function of our authority is to be exercised in prayer with you, hearing and repeating, binding and loosing. In the name of Jesus, 
In the name of Jesus. Ila ramando rianda le o soboito la rianda hai Jesu. Ile akia to romota la riasa to noramanda hai. Ite amanduria taboso noi Jesu. Ye amando robosabatana la manda hai Jesu. We submit ourselves to you, Jesus. We submit ourselves to you. We bring ourselves under your will. We bring ourselves under your purpose. We bring ourselves under your plan. We bring ourselves by grace under your word. And we die that you may live. We die that you may flow through us to the full expression that you desire to in and through us, Lord. We press into the kingdom as it has been preached. We press into the kingdom. We lay aside every weight so that we can be salt and light. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Lord, give us grace to do what is necessary to live from our hunger and thirst for you, to live from our desire for you. In the name of Jesus, Father, give us grace to live under whatever circumstances you want us to live under, whatever you have to bring our way in order for the full expression to take place that you, that you want to manifest in us and through us. Give us grace to stay under, to be patient. In the name of Jesus. 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 